0: Welcome to Katusa First. Uh, It's been a while since I preached one-handed, right? When you're used to the head thing, and then you got to do this, right? So bear with me. Um, We are the people of God trying to build the kingdom of God, and we want to try to have a good time while we do it, right? Do you ever get tired of sour-faced saints who, like, they say they love Jesus, but their entire life is miserable. Oh, I'm just praying that the Lord would do this, and my life is terrible. There is a verse from the Old Testament that has become a big, big verse in my life. And it says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. From Nehemiah. And I've begun to notice a pattern whenever I see the word joy in the Bible. It's never your joy. So it's like, you give me joy because you're being faithful or the joy of the Holy Spirit or the joy of the Lord. It's always like joy is some kind of outward source that we get. But what we tend to do is we look for our own joy and we try to manifest our own happiness. But happiness and joy aren't meant to exist in isolation. It tends to be relational. And so I want to have a good relationship with the Lord so that I can have more of his joy with the Holy Spirit so I can have the Holy Spirit's joy and invest in you so when you grow, you bring me joy. Right? Isn't that what a mother does like when their kids do well? They're like, oh, he just brings me so much joy. Oh, just a little Timmy. Right? They get so excited because their joy has increased, not because of anything they've done, but because they've seen the growth in the ones that they love. If we want to be a church full of joy, it doesn't come because we find our inner peace or our inner joy. It comes from outside. It comes from Christ himself. Amen. Amen. All right. That was free. Um, What we normally do here is we work our way through a book of the Bible at a time. And we do that so we can't skip the hard stuff because there are a lot of difficult verses in Scripture that we spend a lot of of like our lives just skipping over. But with anything, when you would stop and wrestle with what is difficult, that tends to be where you grow the most. So we like to like slow down, treat the Bible as though it's fine food and not fast food. We've been in the book of Acts and we just started. We've only been in it for a couple of weeks. But we got to this point in Acts chapter two where something transformational has happened. It's all of a sudden it's the explosion of the early church and they're living a life that most of us would envy, and politicians today promise us. And culture says, here, you can get there through human means, but you can It's only through Christ. And what kind of life is that? It's where all different people of all different backgrounds come together under one message, and it said that they had all things in common. Right? This is kind of what like socialism or communism is trying to get to. It's this... Um, it's this beautiful idea of like, hey, whatever you need, if I have it, you can have it. It's utopia. But people can't get you to utopia. You can't, you can't elect utopia into the world. It, it is not socialism at all. It's a theocracy. It's when you have a king who is so good that you can get rid of what you have because you know your king will provide for any need that will ever arise in your life. So it's no longer my money, it's his money. It's no longer my house, it's his house. And when you have that kind of belief, then it's easier to be generous. Because if I was to give you $1,000 and say, hey, I want you to go out to eat, and I want you to tip with whatever is left over the $1,000, right? Pay for your meal, I'm going to buy your lunch, and then whatever is left, give that tip to the waitress. And if I was to provide the $1,000, how many of you would actually do that? reach under your seat. I gave everybody an envelope. There's, You tried this before, Caleb. We didn't believe you then, and we don't believe you now, right? But if I was to do that, you would most likely do it. Some of y'all are going to pocket the money, be like, pastor doesn't know my needs. If he knew my needs, he would he would understand, right? But most of you would be generous. Why? Because it's not your money. And when we have a kingdom mindset, we understand that it's not our money, it's not my time, it's not my talents, it's not my skills, it's not my abilities. Everything I have belongs to God. It is His. It is His. It is on loan to me. And so therefore, I should be generous with my life. I want to be a generous person. Now, one of the ways they got there in Acts, the second chapter, is because their paradigm had shifted. The way they viewed the world changed. And so we paused uh, just for uh, two weeks ago, this week, and next week, and then we'll be right back into Acts, okay? We're just pausing and saying, how can we change our paradigm, the way we view the world, to understand and live this way a little bit better? Because you have a paradigm. You have a way you view the world. That's what paradigm means, right? There's a way that you look at the world, and some of it is cultural. Some of it's the way you grew up. On Wednesday night, this last Wednesday, we talked about – the negative aspects of how we view our faith just because we grew up in the West, right? So we went through spiritual disciplines, and at the end we asked which spiritual disciplines are easy for us. And most people said, well, reading our Bible, financial management, time management, we said these things come a little bit more natural to us. And so which ones are hard? And the ones that tended to be hard for most of us here in the church are the ones that are like meditation, fasting. Well, why are these the harder ones? Are they harder in effort? I don't think so. I think it's because we're Western. Now, if I, we, we were in the East, if we were in India or someplace like that, and I talked about fasting and meditation, that's a part of the culture already. So I'd be like, yes, this is easy. No problem. I, I do this anyways all day, every day, right? Right. And so there are things that affect our faith that can be cultural. So we don't want to view our faith just merely through a cultural lens or maybe the neighborhood you grew up in or the parents you grew up with are all things through which we see the Bible. And we want to remove as many of those filters as possible through our lifetime so that we see the Bible clearly. and We see Jesus for who he is clearly. And I. I kind of got a way to maybe help us. I hope it helps. And I stole it from the Bible. Is that okay? Is it okay if I stole it from the Bible? Uh, You see, we have these banners up here, and this is what we've been talking about. Two weeks ago, we talked about the table of the home. This week, we'll talk about the table of the Lord, and next week, the supper of the Lamb. So when it comes to a lens through which I can view my life i found it very easy to do what is found in the old testament and center it around food maybe i'm just hungry like you write these sermons and you're starving um but jesus was kind of a foodie you guys ever heard that verse from revelations where he says "Yea, though i stand at the door and knock you know that verse what's does anybody know the rest of it he says, Yay, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone would open the door, I would come in. And then what does it say? Sup with you, right? Like, what's up with you? He says, I will dine with you. I will eat with you. He's like, if you will open the door, let's have a meal together. They use this imagery of the table of having a meal together as a way to demonstrate intimacy with God, having a close relationship with God. In fact, I would say the people that you invite around your table at your home are your closest friends. That tends to be one of the areas that we just don't let a lot of people in. Our home is our safe place. It's our paradise. It's where we go to relax and retreat. So we kind of guard that space. And Jesus oftentimes just invites himself into people's homes. He's like, hey, can I come over and eat it with you? But Jesus, I haven't cleaned anything and everything don't look good. He's like, I don't care. I just want to spend time with you. So uh, last week or two weeks ago, the table of the home, we talked about this is where it begins. Your, your faith and your maturity does not begin here at church. Your personal growth is established at the patterns that you develop in your own time. I know tons of people who go to church every week and never grow. But if you will sit around the table with your children, men, if you lead your families in prayer, Bible study, not only does it challenge you to actually figure out what the Bible says, but you also have to figure out how to communicate it with other people. That puts a lot of pressure on you. You go, I don't know how to do that. My dad didn't do that for me, so how do I do it for other people, right? These are difficult things, but we want to push you. Because the first church family you have is the one that you live with, not the one you see every Sunday. And what good is it to show up on a Sunday morning and tell, like, hear somebody on a stage tell you how you should read the Bible? Why settle for the echo when you can hear the voice yourself? Why settle for somebody just once a week saying, hey, the Bible says this. And you're like, that's great. When every morning you could be. Diving into God's word and figuring out, wrestling with it and allowing him to grow you. So let's talk about the table of the Lord. If you got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 22. You can't get there before me. That's cheating. I did give you a hint, didn't I? Luke chapter 22, verse 7. If you got it, would you say, I got it? Is that everybody? I think we're missing half the church. If you got it, would you say, I got it? Okay, there we go. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. They said to him, where will you have us prepared? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with them. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the son of man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who is going to do this. And it ends with a cliffhanger, doesn't it? One of you is going to betray me. Uh, I took my kids to see a movie the other day, and uh, we didn't stay for an end credit scene. I don't know if there was an end credit scene, but a lot of movies have end credit scenes now where the story is over, but you know something else is going to come. Well, any good story leaves you with kind of like, well, I wonder what's going to happen next. And sometimes we make the mistake of when we read the Bible of thinking that that is the first in a series. But we know there's a whole lot that happened before Luke chapter 22, doesn't it? There's a whole lot that happened. And when you read this story, most of us are familiar with this story to some degree. We go, that's that's a good story, and I, I, I know where it goes, and I know that that's like the Lord's Supper, and this is the first time, and that's neat. Yeah, I know what's going on, but can I tell you if if you peel back the layers just a little bit, the neat story goes from being neat to really, really good. At the very beginning at verse seven, what did it say that they were preparing? It says, verse seven, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Now, I know most of you guys, you you've have the feast of unleavened bread at your home and you sacrifice a lamb like every year, right? Most of us do that. But none of us do that because we don't have this cultural lens of Judaism that we view scripture through, right? So none of us know that. So when we read that they're doing this thing, we just go, okay, they're doing a thing. And we don't think too much about why or what it is that they're doing. So if we could slow down, and this is what we talk about slow down and let's ask some questions. What is the Feast of Unleavened Bread? What is Passover? Why are they doing this? Let's look. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 12. Second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus chapter 12. I didn't tell you what verse. That's cheating. Verse 1. Luke, or Exodus 12, verse 1. I always want to give you time to be able to find it for yourself, right? Never rely upon just somebody holding a microphone. Look and see what God's word says for yourself, right? Scripture says, test everything. Hold on to what is good. Let go of every kind of evil. We should test everything. Even when a pastor preaches, tests, see what he says, lines up with the word of God, right? Right? Right. Okay. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Pause right there. So do you think something important is about to happen when he says, hey, guess what? Your year starts today now. Like I'm going to do something that's so important. It's day one. Today's day one, and you need to mark your calendars every year with this thing that we're about to do. You need to remember it. Today is day one. So that sounds like it's going to be a pretty important thing that's going to happen. Verse 2, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household to their father's house, Uh, uh, verse 4, And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. How specific is God right now? He's very, very specific. He's like, I want you to do a thing on this day with this animal at this hour with everybody else. He's really, really wanting them to remember. And he wants them to do it a certain way. Why? What is he trying to communicate? He says there's something that's about to happen that you are going to want to tell your children and your grandchildren and your great, great grandchildren. And how does he help them remember the stories as he does it around the table? I want you to have a feast. And when you have this feast, tell this story about what has happened. Let's, same chapter, verse 12. Skipping a few verses here. He says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt Both man and beast, on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And then verse 14 says, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. So what is is going on? It's the last... Plague that is going to strike the people of Egypt so that God's people can be set free, right? They've done the frogs and the, the water turned to blood and the locusts. They've done all of these things, and they still haven't been set free. And God says, okay, there's one more thing. One more thing. And it's going to be so violent and so brutal. And I don't know if you caught it. He says it's a judgment against the gods of Egypt, that this is spiritual warfare, not personal warfare, but the people who worship the other gods are going to suffer the consequences for worshiping these false gods. And so he says there is going to be something that happens, and the firstborn is going to bear the wrath of God's anger. But my people will be covered from the wrath if they take a lamb's blood and put it on their doorway. So my people will be covered by the blood of the lamb and the firstborn shall absorb the wrath of God's anger. This is all looking forward. Do you catch it? So Jesus is the lamb of God whose blood sets us free and he is the protokonos, which is the uh, Greek for the unique one, the firstborn of creation, right? It's not meaning like firstborn in our sense that we tend to think. Like the nation of Israel is called the firstborn of nations. It's not the first nation. It means the unique one, special. But he is the firstborn, and he absorbs the wrath of God so that the people covered by the blood of the lamb can be set free. So here's what's going on. Jesus is using a meal that was designed to remind the people that the blood of the lamb sets them free, and he's starting a new Passover. He says, from now on, I want you to do this instead. I want you to do this because it's it's actually my blood. It's not a lamb's blood. It's my blood that sets you free. And it's not your body that's going to be broken. It's my body that's going to be broken. And what the stories of the past do is we often think the stories of the past are just stories of the past. But they're pointing to something in the future. The stories don't end. So I like to tell the story of this church. I love the story of this church. Whenever somebody like on a Tuesday walks in and they're, even if they're like repairing an AC, one of the first things out of my mouth is this church was built in 1881 or is established in 1881. It's 142 years old. And I think that is awesome. And I talk about how the original church was down there. And then they built this back here. And then they built this here. And for over a hundred and forty years, older than the state of Oklahoma, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been preached to Katusa through the people of this church. Now, do I tell the story because of what, what happened in the past is cool? Or do I tell the story because it's a testimony that God was faithful all the way back then and he will be faithful all the way in the future. Stories of the past, a good story of the past is never about the past. It's always about what is going to happen in the future. And so Jesus uses the Passover. He says, guys, you should have known this was coming. I was so faithful in the past that I set you free from the blood of the Lamb that now I'm here and I'm going to set you free in even a bigger way. And we don't even stop with that story. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, not just looking back to the past that God at one time was faithful and we're thankful for that one time. No, it's because one time he was faithful. And if he's been faithful once, he's going to be faithful again and again and again and again. And if the lamb who was slain in our behalf showed up and did this meal with the disciples, then the lamb will come again and he will take home his children whom he loves. And eventually we'll stop having meals at the table of the home. And there will no longer be a table of the Lord. We'll all be dining together at the supper of the lamb. So all of it is forward looking to what God is going to do. See, all of you have a story. Every single one of you. And when I was a first, like a new believer, I used to tell my story all the time, you know, because it was the only thing I had. I, I, I was a former drug addict, and alcoholic. I'd been in and out of jail. I was always in trouble doing something. I had sold drugs. I had all that stuff. And that was all I had was that story. And then as I matured in my life, I found I just didn't tell that story so much anymore. And people say, well, how come you don't tell your testimony like you used to? I said, because my testimony was not where my life stopped. It was just the beginning of what God was going to do. And he's continued to be faithful in my life. And I got a lot more stories now. And so I don't want to focus on just one thing that he's done. Yet here in modern day Christianity, so many of us, we have one story. We got saved. That's great. Praise God that you got saved. But it was just the beginning You've got more stories in you if we're faithful, if we're trust, if we're obedient, if we would seek his will for our life instead of just be placid and satisfied with just showing up. and It's so tempting. I I feel it in my bones. I'm with you. I've got so much going on. It would be so easy to just compartmentalize my faith, put it off to the side, pull it out in the box on Sunday morning, show up to church, examine my spiritual life, be go, okay, that's good, put it back in the box, and go about the rest of my life for the rest of the week. It's tempting. I want to do it too, but I can't. Because we have tasted and seen the Lord is good and that He is faithful, and I want more. I want more. This is why we have communion every Sunday. Every Sunday. Because I never want to take my eyes off what Christ has done. Because I'm thankful for what He has done and I'm excited for what he's going to do in the future. Amen. I'm going to pray. Here's our invitation today. Do You know that God is faithful. You've trusted him for salvation, but did you stop there? Did you stop there? you trust that there's so much more he can do in your life if you would humble yourself before a mighty God, lower that ego, kill the ego? You don't, you're, you're a terrible God. I'm a terrible God. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. I want to bow and worship because he's the only one I trust. Show me how to live this life.